Well, hello there. My name is Matt Edmondson and welcome to What's the Story, a podcast where we hear stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And today, that conversation is going to be with one of my favorite people on the planet, my beautiful, beautiful wife. And we're going to be talking about what it's like to trust God even when we don't understand what he is doing. Have you ever been there before? You're going to want to check this out. Yes, you are. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Crowd Church, which is an online church. Online because not everybody can get into a church building. And let's be real, not everybody sees the point of going to church. Not everybody sees the point of going into a building. It doesn't make sense. And this is where online church works really, really well. It's super accessible and it is a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing, The thing that I love about Crowd uh, is that it is online first, uh, meaning that we talk with you and not just at you. You can join in the conversation and ask your questions. Yes, you can. So regardless of where you are on your faith journey, I reckon it's worth checking out. And if you want to know more information about Crowd Church, head over to www.crowd.church or just email me directly at matt at crowd.church with any questions that you've got. Now, before I get into today's conversation, I just want to give you a few more links that are going to be worth checking out. Uh, One of my favorite talks that Sharon has ever done here at Crowd is Learning How to Forgive Totally Changed My Life. Uh, So check that one out. She also did a great talk called What Does the Bible Say About Anger? Both of those are available for free on our website. So head over there. Now, Sharon is... Uh, Well, she lives in Liverpool uh, with me, which is good news. (laughs) Uh, We've got three grown kids and my beautiful wife loves to teach English to refugees and asylum seekers. Her desire is to see those with broken lives find restoration in Jesus. Sharon enjoys spending time with her family, with her friends and with yours truly. Yes, she does. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my beautiful wife. So, uh, welcome to Crowd Stories. I am talking to the beautiful, uh, beautiful lady, which is my wife, Sharon, Sharon Edmondson, who I rarely call by her actual name. And so if during this interview uh, I slip the word babe or something uh, equal during the conversation, please forgive me, but that's just what we call each other in the house. Rarely do I call her Sharon uh, unless, unless what? And I guess unless you're in trouble, right? Yeah. Not even then, really. It's just very rare. I'm always a bit confused and everyone else is a bit confused. It's like, what's going on? We don't get it. We don't understand it. So we're, we're doing this interview. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I think this is great. So let's start um, I, I, like we'd like to start with most people at the start of your journey, your Christian journey. How did you um, become a Christian? What was the sort of what led up to that decision of faith for you? Well, I'd grown up in a Christian family, so went to church since I was born. And I think as a child, um, just always believed in God. So I'd always chat to him and, yeah, I'd read my Bible and I loved it. Um, But um, the church I was part of, we used to go on holidays together every Mm. summer, which was fabulous. I've got great memories of that. Um, And the adults used to have meetings i think most evenings um where they would get together they would sing songs to god they would um do bible stuff and other things um 
And I remember going on one of these holidays when I was, I think it was 15. And so the adults would be having their meetings, but I would be off with my friends down the beach because we were like, oh, that's all boring. <laughs> I think we got pestered that much that on the last evening of this particular holiday, the Friday night, we gave in and decided we would go along to this meeting and um, wasn't expecting anything in particular. But during this meeting, I just had this um, like amazing sense of God's presence. Mm. And I just had this sense that I had to decide for myself whether I was going to follow him or or not. And that up till that point, up to a, to a certain extent that I'd been relying on my parents' faith, but mm. that that was no longer an option. Um, I can't really explain it any more than that. It was just this really strong sense that that's what I had to do. And uh, I think I spent all night like tossing and turning about this decision because I, on the one hand, I really wanted to, but on the other hand, I didn't because I felt like I'd be giving up control of my life if I was giving it over to God. And that was a bit scary, to be honest. Mm. Um, but finally, I made that decision um, and it it was an amazing um, thing. I, again, I just really felt God's uh, presence. I had this sense of peace. Um, yeah, and from from then on, like when I used to open the Bible and I'd read bits and it, it was just like it came to life, like it had been written that day just for me. And mm. um, um, so that was like fabulous. So this but is when was, you're this is when you're 15 years old. Yeah. And uh, which interestingly, our daughter is 15 years old now. Uh, as you're yeah. as you're saying that I'm thinking, oh, wow, we have a 15 yeah. year old daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you have these great memories of uh, church holidays every summer. And um, I guess are you are you hanging out with the same people at these at these church holidays or are you meeting new people? Yeah. Is that why they're fun? It's mainly friends that were part of the same church. So I got to hang out with my mates, really, and be at the sea. And yeah, it was just it was a sense of community and it was just a fun time. And mm. yeah, it was good. So you had this sort of sense of community, you were hanging out and your parents and all the olds were badgering you about attending the meetings rather than going to uh, the beach. And so one day you kind of sat there in this meeting and you use this phrase, you had this sort of sense of God's presence. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? How, when you say sense of God's presence, what does that mean? What is that evoking? What memories are you recalling there? Oh, this is such a difficult question to answer. Um... Because emotion, I think emotion is involved, but it felt like more than that. It was just this inner sense of knowing something really strongly mm. and that hadn't been there before. It just sort of landed on me in a sense. Um, yeah, I can't think how else to describe it, really. That's fascinating that it sort of uh, it landed on you. And you'd not experienced this feeling before. It's not like it was an everyday occurrence. This was the first time it had happened. I don't know if it was the first time of sensing God's presence. Um, this was definitely a significant time because mm. of I just had this really strong sense that I had to make a decision. And it wasn't that anybody was saying that. Nobody in the room was telling me that. That wasn't what anyone had spoken about. It was just something within me that just went, you have to decide you've been living on your parents faith to a certain extent and or sort of like um 
yeah, just pottering on with life and mm. chatting to God. But I hadn't really done that sense of completely giving myself over to him. And I think that was what I was sensing then, that I needed to do that, that, that I had a decision to make. So you had to sort of um, surrender control, which is very hard for a 15 year old to do, uh, regardless of where they are in the world. Um, and, and you yeah, and you sort of have this sense to surrender control, which um, is interesting. And you, again, you use this phrase, giving, giving everything to God. So at this point, you would say that you were a Christian or, or you had some kind of sense of faith, but it, you needed to make a decision to step out from the shadow of your parents' faith and and live it for yourself is that a fair reflection yeah i think so i think it was that the sense of actually surrendering my whole life not just chatting to god about stuff that i want to talk about but also being willing to listen to him and saying okay god if i'll i will do whatever you want me to do i'll i'll go where you send me Mm. kind of thing that uh trusting that actually god had a good plan and that he's good and that if he tells me to do anything it is for good and not because he's nasty and yeah yeah. so the you've made this decision uh after a sort of a sleepless night and did you sense then afterwards um god was telling you to do something that that was not there before so you sort of feel like you've surrendered control of your life so does that mean the next day you feel like oh uh, i've now got to go uh, be a missionary to china or whatever or, or was the next day almost the same i can't remember anything in particular i think in a sense it was my fear oh god's gonna go and say and do this really tricky thing but actually mm. there wasn't any of that it was just a sense of peace and my mm. okay I've decided and it's okay because God is good and Mm. he's got a good plan for my life and I'm in good hands. Um, But yeah, there's nothing particular. That's interesting, isn't it? So you've kind of gone from this, uh, this sort of wrestling with decision. Once it's been made, then there's this huge sense of peace Mm. um, and um, and calm. Mm. So what happens next? You're 15 years old. You've made this decision. What's the sort of the next part of the journey? I think I got baptised about a year later, I think when mm. I was 16. I'm saying I'm think, it's all very vague. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny, isn't it, how, how old, when you get older, you forget just a lot of things that happen uh, in your teenage years. Uh, no, it's fair play. So you get baptised around 16, mm. we think. Yes, and then it was all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> so We'll come to that, no doubt. Uh, but the, the baptism... Um, uh, what what made you did were you not sort of baptized as a kid um no in our church we didn't do that i was part of a baptist church um and the baptists uh, very much believe that you make that decision as an adult and you get baptized by full immersion in the water um as is described in the bible when john the baptist um he would baptize people in the is it the river or yeah, yeah. river jordan yeah, yeah. So that's what we did in our church. What, you went to the River Jordan? Uh, not the River Jordan, no. That would have been quite cool. But no, um, we had, because it was a Baptist church, we had a baptistry in the church. So basically a part of the floor lifted up and underneath it was like a uh, a very small pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah where <laughs> you got baptised. enough to dunk you in. 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's very different to the River Jordan. It's not even the River Thames, is it? So, you know. <laughs> no. Never mind. So you get baptized at 16. So the, the year, so it's about a year then. Um, and I don't know if you can remember, but that year between making that decision and getting baptized, was that a good year? I can't remember much about it, to be honest. I think there wasn't, there's nothing that sticks out, mm. either very good or very bad. Um, so, yeah. It just is what it is. Okay, so then you make this, um, you just, you made this comment that it all went downhill from the moment you get baptised. <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that phrase? And oh, yeah, the question, of course, on everybody's mind is, is this when you met Matt? Right. So is that why it all went downhill? No, no. That was much later. <laughs> that <laughs> Let's get that clear. Yeah. Let's clear that out straight away. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it it goes it goes a bit Pete Tong. What's what's cracking off here? I think um, I don't know if it was just an age thing or whether there's something about baptism that just brings more of a challenge in your faith. Because I've heard of quite a few people after they got baptized, then kind of drift away whereas they were very sure beforehand so i don't mm. know yeah i don't know whether it was that but also i think being 16 by then it's the sort of age where you do question things mm. so um i think there was a mixture of things i had a lot of questions about life that i didn't really couldn't answer um i think there was a lot of stuff going on in the church which wasn't necessarily good and again i can't really remember what i can't remember whether it was just me and my thinking or whether it was an actual reality but i got to the point i was fed up of church not necessarily god mm. um and i think also there were just things in my life that i didn't really know how to deal with that were just sort of under the surface so with all of those going on i kind of drifted away i didn't lose my faith but i definitely drifted for quite a while so what does that? But what does that mean? You didn't you didn't lose your faith. So you'd still say you 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 had a Christian faith at this point, but drifted away means what? I think I didn't I didn't necessarily go to church, um, and faith wasn't necessarily um, part of my everyday life. Mm. It was like I'd carry on living my life, and God was off on the side somewhere, rather than being full centre. Okay, so how long does this go on for, this sort of drift? Well, when I was 18, I went away to um, study. So I studied to be an occupational therapist down in Exeter. And um, it, I went to this little college of occupational therapy that had just become attached to Exeter Uni, but not really. So it was sort of separate and sort of connected. So I didn't really have much to do with the actual university, but I was on this course and so many people on that course were Christians. It was incredible, <laughs> like this really big proportion. Um, and so I think through friendships with those different people, they kind of helped keep me a little bit engaged with faith. So mm. I think if it hadn't been for them, I might have walked away completely and just sort of forgotten maybe about God, about faith. Yeah. But they, they kept it in my thinking. Um, and in my memory and I think that's a really was... interesting an interesting thing to say because um, I, I would have sort of forgotten about God and um, so a lot of people sort of 
our age would have gone to Sunday school and do you know I mean they sort of would, they, there are these experiences that people have of God when they're kids through kids church or whatever that they that they accept at that point in time because it's what we call the childlike faith isn't it this sort of childlike acceptance that as you grow older you talked about the questions of life you couldn't answer you talked about you know sort of drifting and not being that enamored with the church and a few sort of realities start to hit home as you grow up you, you know the world's not all sunshine and rainbows like it is maybe when you're younger and then you sort of have this ability to forget god but um one of the things that notoriously keeps people on track and you've mentioned it is friendships and the friendships that surround you know the people uh, that surround you as you grow up become super critical i know when i was at uni um, i'd just become a christian i wasn't uh, a very different story from you but it was the friends around me that made a big difference uh, to my life and my walk with God and I think uh, I, I see that with our kids you know it's the friends isn't it around them that have had a big impact on their lives and that's super yeah. super critical yeah. so I you're... say that I would have forgotten God I don't think I actually ever could because I think there would always be this little sense of God in the background and this mm. sense of something missing but, you know, when you just try and ignore something and, like, put it out of your mind, you can't completely get it out, but it's more in the background. Yeah, you can't get it. And, and again, a lot of people, um, the stories that I've heard, it's they there is that niggle that, that is maybe perhaps there. They've sort of forgotten about God, drifted away. and But there is this niggle. And so they try and fill it with something else, don't they? And there, there is this then this quest, this search for uh, a meaningful life, which... Some people will turn to sex, some people will turn to drink, some people will turn to party, and some people will turn to, I don't know, kayaking down the Ganges. I don't know, whatever it is, you know, there's um, all these different things that sort of people try and fill that void with. But it's quite fascinating, isn't it, that, um, that yes, we can drift, but ultimately is there's something there in the back of your head, uh, a little voice trying to sort of go, hello, <laughs> yeah. I'm still here. Um, so the, the friends that you had at Exeter Uni. Yeah. Um, tell me a bit about them. Uh, there's one in particular that comes to mind. Um, and just she just seemed to have a really strong faith in God. And I think had seen... Um, seen God do lots of things in her life and so she was just a real encouragement to me I was just like oh maybe you know maybe there is maybe this does work maybe this is real um, and actually so I lost contact with her after that but I met up with her for the first time in 29 years uh, a few weeks ago mm. because I was back down in Exeter again and um, and that was fabulous to meet up with her again um, and then other friends um we didn't have halls as part of our little college. Everybody lived out in houses. And mm. quite often there would be a, a house with two Christians in and two non-Christians. And by the end, they were all Christians. So, I mean, it really was. There was a high proportion. Which mm. is, That's great. Yeah. That's great. That, so the, the the friend that you met up with a few weeks ago, um, is she still strong in her Christian faith as well? Yeah, yeah. And so you're you're sort of sat there reminiscing about old times, I take mm. it. And just remembering yeah. the good old days. Cool. Yeah. What's uh, what's a memory that sticks out with the two of you? Oh, um, I think going on going on walks, and um, we used to have a Christian. Was it a Christian Union? I'm not sure. A bunch of us went away for a weekend, mm. uh, and that was really cool. I remember doing walks there, 
um, and just her family lived on the outskirts of Exeter in an old farmhouse. So, um, yeah, we, we'd all, loads of us would pile there and spend some time there. And that's actually where she's still living. So it was great to go back and see that. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. So you hang out with these friends throughout your time at uni, which is what, three years? Yeah. Um, and your Christian faith is sort of, is it growing at this point? Is it getting stronger? What's going on? I wouldn't say it's getting stronger. I would say it was hanging on. <laughs> so, um, and I never really got stuck into a church particularly. Mm. Um, part of the reason for that was that we had two placements every year. And they could be anywhere within the south of England. So I had placements in Kent, in London, in Gloucester, Cornwall. Um, do you know I mean, they were really mm. spread out. So it, it felt like quite disjointed. You'd be in one place for a, a few weeks or a few months, and then you'd be in another place. And so you weren't actually always in Exeter. Um, yeah. So... You didn't get stuck into a church um, or plugged into a church, but you have got Christian friends around you. Um, and again, we know that when people go to uni, that getting stuck into a into a church and the friendship groups around you really help you grow and in, in, in strengthening your Christian faith. But you you make this phrase that you're hanging on. Why why are you hanging on at this point? Um, I think. It's a good question. I think because underneath all my doubts, I had a sense that it could be true. And I didn't want to just let go of something that was true. Um, and I think also, it's like faith in, in, a, in some senses actually does make a lot of sense of the world in spite of the fact that I had all these other questions I feel like quite often I've got I had these two things going on like almost like pulling me in different directions so mm. there was that sense that actually this is true and this is very solid but then on the other hand there's this but what about this and what about that and these questions and these doubts and I had the Christian friends around me who were helping me to stick with faith but on the other hand stuff that we were doing in our in the course um so we we studied psychology and psychiatry as part of the course and within those there were things that i think i remember reading a book um to do with depression as part of the course um and i think again it's like i don't know whether this is what my mind is saying happened or whether it actually happened <laughs> but I think there are things in the book where it was saying, um, you know, some people have got this faith and if that helps them, then that's okay. But we all know it's not really true. That kind of mm. vibe, even if it wasn't those specific words. And it, there were lots of things like that that just made me go, is this just all made up? Am I making this up? So again, it was like friends helping me with my faith, but then other things sort of pulling me away, pulling me away and making me, doubt and mm. question and having to wrestle with everything so you have this um these two things these two uh things pulling you apart one is this element of knowing it's true and solid and the other one is hang on uh, i have doubts i have questions i'm reading scientific literature that is maybe telling me that this is all false am, am i missing something am i a, 
a crackpot here, you know. And I think most most Christians would talk about this sort of, am I is this some kind of global conspiracy? And I'm the only person that's not really figured this out yet. Yeah. Um, and you and you you do have these doubts and these these wrestling doubts. So, some of the things that you were questioning, what what is what was some of these doubts? Was it to do with the existence of God? Was it to do with I don't know the justice of God? What what were causing the questions and the doubts? I think the the main underlying thing was does God actually exist? That was a major thing for me. And then I think after reading that book, there was a period of time where I was just like, no, God doesn't exist. And that was a very dark time. And and it wasn't actually based on any research. It was just that I think this book had put some doubts in my mind and I didn't really mm. know how to investigate that or look at it and look at the fors and the against. It, I just... At that point in my life, I very much lived on my emotions. So if my emotions said something wasn't true one day, I'd be like, oh, it's not true. And if my emotions said it was true the next day, or if it felt true, then I would believe it. So my my faith in God became very rocky. Some days I believed and other days I didn't. But it was all totally based on my emotions, which now looking back, I'm like, that makes no sense at all. Because either God does exist or he doesn't. And how I feel about the matter doesn't actually change the reality of that. Uh, but at the time, I didn't know how to do that. And there were lots of things as well that I didn't know how to deal with. So, um, like stuff from my past. And um, because I didn't know how to deal with it, I was quite a mess inside. I think on the outside, I might have looked okay. Um, I'd have to ask other people to check that one out, I guess. <laughs> Um, but on the inside, I was a mess. And again, I was living with this tension of hearing things like God's a God of love and um, he's a God of freedom. But I wasn't experiencing that. So, again, these two things, opposites, almost like pulling mm. in different directions. Uh, and that was quite a, quite troubling for me, really. So, wow, I mean... <laughs> Again, and, and this is not something that is uncommon to everybody else, although it, it feels, I think, oftentimes it's just you that's struggling with this. I, I hear this about God, but my experience seems to be this. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to hold these two things in tension here. And I, I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, I hear that God is good. On the other hand, I see an experience maybe suffering on one hand i hear that god heals on the other hand i feel ill mm -hmm. i hear that god sets people free but on the other hand i feel like i'm caught in a prison somehow in my thinking or in my minding and so what we hear about god and what we experience about god can often be quite different things and so how are you how are you coping with this with this tension what is it actually doing to you well i think i spent several years living it in a repeating cycle and that cycle was I would try and get close to God and as I did that I'd feel like my mind was going completely nuts and out of control and then I'd get angry with God and going I'm trying to get close to you why are you doing this to me so then I'd back off and I'd feel better so once I felt better I'd be like oh let's try and go for God again <laughs> so and then I just did I, and basically I did that for years really mm until I was, uh, must have been about 23, 24. And I got to the point of like, okay, God, I've had enough of this now. And I, I basically gave God an ultimatum. 
uh, I said, either you sort this out or I'm leaving. And you can forget this whole faith thing. Um, and um, and for other reasons as well, at the time, so after I finished studying Exeter, I worked in Cornwall as an occupational therapist. And that's where I was when I gave God this mm. ultimatum. Um, and I actually started seeing a counsellor while I was down there. And I think through just through talking to her I, as well, I realised that I needed to get out of Liverpool for a number of, um, not Liverpool, Cornwall, Cornwall, for a number of reasons. So I combined that with my ultimatum for God. And so I started looking at year teams that different uh, Christian organisations were running. Mm. And I went for different interviews in different parts of the UK. Um, and then I came for an interview for a, a team in Liverpool. And um, it was one of these um, bizarre, significant times again, because as soon as I drove into Liverpool, I was absolutely certain that this was where God wanted me to be. But at that point, I wasn't even sure that God existed. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was this big contrast of, again, these two opposite things, completely Mm. sure God's saying this, but not sure that God exists. (laughs) So... Oh, the irony uh, yeah. of that yeah, statement. Yeah. Uh, but we've all been there, uh, and uh, I'm I'm sure that um, I'm sure everyone can can well, <laughs> a lot of us can attest to situations like that. So you're you're sort of in the, you're in this roller coaster of things going on. You give God this ultimatum, and the, so the way you're giving God this one last chance is to do this Christian year. Um, yeah. So to do a year team with a church, which is basically where you do something for a year solid in that is church related right now they're quite a popular thing um and so you're looking around and you there's one in liverpool and you drive to liverpool and go man i'm supposed to be here um uh, in in quite an unusual way so you've driven to liverpool uh, all the way from cornwall which is not an insignificant journey uh when you live in england um (laughs) uh, and so what happens you arrive in liverpool uh what what happens yeah, I can't remember what, there was an interview, uh, we got to hang out with different people, can't remember much more than that, um, but the outcome of it was that I got a place on this team, mm. so then I I really, I think I sold practically everything that I had, we had to save up the, a certain amount of money to do the course because it included your accommodation and mm. your food and everything else, so it was a few thousand pounds, um, uh, which... I don't think I had any savings. So I started saving um, and then eventually I actually sold my car because that was the only thing I had worth selling to mm. come up. So I, I, I was like, I'm all in. Okay, God, I'm all in. You do what you like. But if this doesn't work after this year, that's it. I've had mm. it. With, I've had it with you. <laughs> so, do you yeah. think you would have done though? Do you think at the end of that year you would have gone, if nothing had happened, you'd have gone, yeah, that's it, I'm out. Um, I, think I suppose in some ways would. I, I think I would have been angry enough at that point to, <laughs> yeah it's like Fair I'm enough. here I'm, I'm open and you're not doing anything so if you're not interested I think it would have been that you're not interested in me so I'm not interested in you. I think it would have been like that. Yeah, fair enough. It's it's interesting, isn't it, to wonder what what avenues life would have taken. But obviously, you didn't go down that path because 
here you are uh, helping me run Crowd Church. So something obviously has happened along the way. Sorry, spoiler alert, you know, the ending uh, as we're going through the story. Um, so what was the team? What, what happened that year which transformed everything? Yeah, so there were basically eight of us on the team and we all lived in a house together. And there'll be two people sharing a room because the idea was um, that you had Bible teaching and everything else. But it was also very much about being in God's presence and uh, listening to what he's saying, uh, getting a sense of that and letting him do a deep work in our own life. And I think mm. they wanted us to share a room so that there was no escape <laughs> wherever you were. There was there was somebody there. Um so it wasn't like you could just go off in your room and forget about everything. You had to face stuff. Mm. Um, and, and as well as all the teaching and prayer and all the rest of it, we got involved in different projects that the church was doing at the time. So there was a soup kitchen for the homeless. Um, I think there was youth work. There was kids work. Um, and we went on different trips as well. I think there was quite a few other bits as well. Um, mm. And that's actually where we met, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, so that year was probably one of the worst years of my life. Not because you met me. I just, again, want to clarify. No, no, no. not because of that. (laughs) (laughs) People are listening. That was the year we met, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was the worst year of my life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so one of the worst years and also one of the best years of my life. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll come to that, I know, I have no doubt. Yeah, so... I think it was one of the worst because my take on it is that God took me seriously. And so all the rubbish that had been in my life that I didn't know how to deal with, that was the year to start to actually deal with it and look at what was there. And um, there was a lot of rubbish, (laughs) a lot of rubbish. And I think there's probably, there's, I think three main things that I come away with from that year, I'm I'm sure there are more, but the three are repentance, forgiveness and faith, which Mm -hmm. were three major things. So repentance just means actually taking responsibility for where I've missed God's standard, where I've done things or not done things that actually are good to do or, you know, that God wants us to do. Yeah. Um, yeah and I didn't actually really like that very much um the second one was forgiveness and this was a major major thing for me because like I'd grown up hearing about forgiveness and having grown up in a church but I actually didn't really understand how to properly forgive it's like I would mentally say oh yeah I forgive them but actually deep down in my heart I hadn't all the rubbish was still there and yeah. it, it was during that year that I really learned how to forgive properly um, and there's a fabulous parable um, which I've actually done a talk on to, for crowd so it's somewhere yeah. out there somewhere um, on the ether on the YouTube channel yeah and then um, there's a fabulous book called forgive release and be free by Joff Day and again I can't remember whether I learned this first and then found the book or the other way around um, but that book talks about how when when somebody does something wrong to us, we have this sense that they owe us something. And that was the bit that I'd been missing in previously when I tried to forgive people. It's that connecting with the emotion of what you feel owed 
And mm. so I'd actually then start writing down, you know, what the person had done, um, what what I felt that they owed me. And then the parable talks about settling accounts. So it's almost mm. like you have, um, like somebody owes you money and when you settle the accounts, either they pay you the money or you can go, actually, I'm going to let you off that debt. You don't owe me that anymore. And you like scrub it out. And the parable talks about how forgiveness is like that. So it's not, they might not owe you money, but they might owe you something else. And Mm. that person may never, ever pay what they owe. They may never say they're sorry, but you can actually still cancel their debt. And Mm. it was that sense of, okay, I'm going to write off that debt. They don't owe me that anymore. And really connecting with the emotion of how that felt that um, brought me freedom. And that was actually really hard to do because there had been a lot of stuff that had been there for for years that Mm. was very deep. And um, partly I didn't want to forgive because I knew that if I forgave, I'd have to take responsibility for how I was. But Mm. at that time, because I hadn't forgiven, I was just saying, well, all my faults are a result of what they have done and I'm not Mm. going to take responsibility for them. So, yeah, that was really hard for me to do. And initially, when I first got hold of this forgiveness thing, it used to take me, I think, maybe a couple of weeks or more to actually forgive somebody of one little thing. <laughs> because it was so ingrained that I of not forgiving that it was mm. really hard. But the more I practiced it, the easier that got. So uh, that was the second thing. So we've done repentance, forgiveness. The third one was faith I think because like I said before um, up until that point I'd lived on my emotions so if I felt something I would go with that Um, and so I was all over the place Mm. whereas that year I really learned that um, things are true regardless of how I feel about them and I can choose what I believe Uh, I can choose to believe truth Obviously, I don't want to believe something that's not true. So I can choose to believe truth. And then if I keep on doing that, eventually my emotions will follow. And again, that was like a major, major thing for me. Um, And when I first got a hold of this, my mind was such a mess that just trying to hang on to one thing that's true, um, it was was hard because, Mm. yeah, my emotions would take me all over. And I think from... So I think we started the team in the September or October. And from then until about the following Easter, my mind felt like it was a battle like every second of the day because where it had been used to just doing whatever it wanted and going down any little rabbit trail that it wanted, I was sort of trying to bring it in line with actual truth. Mm. Um, And in this case, obviously, I believe that things that the Bible says are true. So it was okay lining up my mind with that and then when I did that eventually they got to this breakthrough point where I realized I wasn't having to purposefully think about this anymore it would just followed and there was this like amazing sense of freedom and clarity and it's like a few (laughs) last and and there's that verse in the bible that talks about if you continue in my words this is Jesus talking if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that was definitely my experience at that point. Mm. So this is fascinating, isn't it? Because you you are uh, a, a year earlier, you're giving God this ultimatum because you're hearing about the God that sets people free, but you're not experiencing it. 
And then you spend this year in this team, which is the worst year of your life, uh, to quote yourself. But in that, in that difficulty, in that hardness, um, you seem to have you seem to have found the freedom that you weren't experiencing before. Have I understood that correctly? Yeah, definitely. And so um, it's interesting that your three lessons, repentance, forgiveness, and faith um, are in effect, the three lessons everyone needs to learn, especially in the Christian faith, because repentance, you've got to acknowledge God, you know, I need you (laughs) and take responsibility for the stuff that you've done in the past. Mm. Um, uh, forgiveness you've got to receive God's forgiveness and, and then you've got to walk by faith right yeah. so this is the, the key to becoming a Christian but you seem to have taken that and applied that not just to your relationship with God but your relationship with people around you that yeah. you are um, holding on to this sort of unforgiveness with right yeah definitely and that parable that I mentioned before actually talks about um, there was a servant in the parable in the story that had been forgiven a lot but but refused to forgive and it says in there oh, i will hand him over to the torturers and it i definitely again experienced that sense of being tortured in my mind when i mm. held on to unforgiveness it's like okay this is this is real life this is actually describing life as it is mm. um, and i think yeah i think we we can all experience that if we hold on to unforgiveness actually it damages us on the inside it Uh, It may hurt other people as well, but ultimately it it damages us. Mm. Wow. So how are you then at the end of this year, team? Have you, have you, is this, are we on, are we at that point of the journey where you've gone, God, I'm all in now. I gave you the ultimatum, you came through, I'm all in. Or was that further down the line? Or was that partway through the year? When did that happen? I think going, going on the team was, I'm all in, make this work, but, it was God did make it work. And I think mm. um, the three things that I mentioned before, the repentance, faith and forgiveness, it's like, like you say, they're all uh, kind of the building blocks of the Christian faith. And I'd heard about them for years, but I didn't know how to actually do them for myself. Mm. And on that year, that team, I think I had people around me who understood spiritual things and how they worked and they were prepared to ask me the hard questions and they were prepared to poke me and go, you sound like you've not forgiven that person. What are you going to do about it? And it's a bit like I was really angry with them to begin with. (laughs) It's it's like um, I had a lot of anger in me, but it was all squashed Mm. down. Um, So like all of this stuff came out. Yeah, it was there was a lot of horrible stuff that was lurking. Mm. it's interesting when you when you talk about forgiveness and you you said you wrote down um the name of the person what they did to you and what you feel owed Mm. um i think this was quite a revelation to me when i when i was asked this question you know well you've done me wrong but what do you feel like they owe you and connecting with that so what were some of the things that you were that you felt like you were owed Again, this is quite a difficult question because it's like, um, I know forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting, Mm. but for me, because I have forgiven and it's been a long time ago now, I actually have quite a hard time remembering what it was 
and what happened and what I felt owed. Mm. That's fantastic. It, it's really hard for me to do that now. I, mm. I could probably sit here in like, you know, if you give me like 10 minutes or so, I could probably go, okay, yeah, I'll come up with that. Mm. But actually in, in my experience, the memory is still there, but it's so much in the background. Mm. I, I'd, I'd have to make effort to remember it. Yeah, yeah. And that's great, isn't it? It's like forgiveness is not forgetting, but actually in forgiveness, you can become forgetful. Mm. Uh, and um, I quite like that. Okay, so you finished the team. You're a young, beautiful lady. You've met this dashing <laughs> young fellow. Gorgeous. Uh, whilst you're on the team. what's What happens next? Where does the story go from there? Good question. Where does it go? So, yeah, so in the team, it felt like all the rubbish got cleared out. And I learned new ways. I learned God's ways of doing life. Um, and initially, I felt a bit like a child where, learning to walk, where you get up and you walk a few, full ste a few steps and then you fall down. So yeah. I, my mind would be like fabulous for a while. And then something would happen and it would send me into kind of a relapse for a little bit. And then I'd get back up. Okay, okay, I know what to do now with this walk a few more steps, something else happened, fall down. But gradually the time between those falls would get further and further apart until it'd be like, oh, I can't remember the last time now when, you know, my my brain was really not in a very good place. And uh, so, so I think that was the next little mm. bit. Um, the certain le the learning to walk out this faith that you discovered on the yeah. on the Amiga team on this year out team. Yeah, and then uh, after the team, I, was, I just prayed and I said, "Okay, God, what do you want me to do now?" Um, and I had peace about getting a part time job uh, working as an occupational therapist in Liverpool, and also working for the church part time doing kids work. So that's what I did for a few years. Mm. And also got together with a dashingly handsome young man. Dashingly handsome young man, uh, which uh, and then you met me. So, um, <laughs> so we got together. Um, uh, we got married in '98, didn't we? 1998, and um, we we'd been engaged for about ten months. We'd been going out about five months before that. So, um, we'd we'd not been. We'd not been together long before we decided to get married. Um, we then get married. Obviously, um, life is all dreamy and roses, isn't it, from this, this point onwards? Or is it? No. <laughs> I think sometimes we can have this expectation, can't we, that if we're a Christian and God's on our side, then things should all be great and no problems. Mm. But actually, Jesus promised that we'd have problems, so... Yeah, life has its ups and downs, doesn't it? It has its good bits, it has its challenges. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think faith-wise, so on that team, I think I, I learned a lot of actually how God's kingdom works and how, um, how he makes life work. Um, but since then, I've looked more into those big questions of, okay, so... Obviously, by then I did. I believe God existed because I had I'd had real experience and I'd seen how following His Word actually made a massive difference in my life. Mm. 
but there was also the intellectual side that was like okay I want to develop that a little bit more so I studied a lot more like okay what is actually the evidence for God's existence and Mm. what about suffering what is the answer to that from the Christian worldview and um, looking at all those questions like what is our purpose all the big questions I've just delved into a lot more so that hopefully um, my uh, spirit and uh, soul my own emotions and the intellect are all working together in the same direction because the, mm. the bible talks about loving god with all your i'm gonna get the quote wrong now <laughs> with all your heart, heart mind and soul or, or mind yeah so mm. it is it's about all those things it's about um it's about using your brain you don't have to take your brain out to be a christian you're meant to use it mm. um, as well and i i love that as well that side of things so um you you it's interesting isn't it you you sort of you've you've gone through this incredible journey um and you grew up in a christian home but that didn't exclude you from having to figure all this stuff out for yourself and having to go through maybe some difficult times to try and process um what god was doing in your life was that the amiga team say again sorry i'll cut you off then um yeah i think it's really important if if you actually in some ways i can envy people who just believe and never really Mm. doubt (laughs) but in some ways for some people that can actually be quite a shallow faith i think Mm. it's not a bad thing to actually have the questions and to have the doubts and to look into this and go okay is this true Mm. and to investigate and to check it out i think that's actually very important yeah it is it is important to wrestle with the whole thing so in terms of um life's challenges you obviously have a big challenge with the amiga team has there been any other huge challenge that you've had to face since then besides being married to me which is just a whole new level of complication we won't get into in this (laughs) conversation you're easy though Oh, there have been challenges, haven't there? Um, I think there was the time when we weren't sure whether you would have a job or not, and I was uh, about to give up work to have our first child, Josh, and our lodgers were moving out. So it's like all sources of income were potentially about to disappear. So that was a challenge. Uh, Sleepless nights, definitely a challenge. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of big things um i think i've said before when uh, zoe our youngest was a baby she wasn't sleeping that well at all and there was lots of other things going on in life that was definitely a very big challenge and i got to a, a place of um not being very healthy mentally at that point as well and uh, and it actually took somebody to remind me of the things that i just talked about and to go back to those to yeah. actually um start dealing with things again which was helpful. Uh, yeah, I remember those days very well uh, with Zoe and the, the amazing effect that a lack of sleep has uh, from our third child, which she is incredibly proud of. She is. Uh, when we talked to her about it, <laughs> she's just like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And she is uh, Oh, she is. She's amazing. And she's, yeah, and we, we definitely don't get sleepless nights anymore. Um, so I guess if there's... If there's one thing that you've learned, if there's your life lesson 
to put it in, in that terms, one overarching theme that sort of threads through all the things that God has taught you, what would that be? Oh, um, I think it is that God is actually real and amazing. And because he's created the world and, and everything, actually, he's got something to say about every aspect of life. It's not not just that we can have a little bit of faith on the side to make us feel good. It's actually God wants to be involved in every aspect of life and actually involving him makes life work uh, not doesn't make it necessarily easy sometimes it can make it more difficult <laughs> um, but, but it, it does work and it, it can be exciting it's not always mm. exciting I think there's also uh, sometimes life there is just the things that we have to do every day that you know the monotonous things that is just as much life as the exciting things but yeah, I think God in everything, maybe. Mm. Very good. Very good. Well, babe, listen, thank you for joining me uh, from the other side of our house on yeah. video so we can record this, which uh, is, is fascinating when, when we do it like this. Um, uh, normally I speak to people somewhere else, and so this setup makes sense. But when it's you and me, it's a little bit bizarre. Uh, but <laughs> it is what it is. Thank you for joining me from the other room and sharing your story. Um, if you would like to hear more from my beautiful wife, you can check out Sharon's stories and talks on the Crowd Church website, crowd.church, www.crowdchurch. I can't even say it. Uh, and just search for Sharon Edmondson and all the stuff will come up, uh, all the talks you've done, especially the ones on forgiveness, which were, I have to say, uh, and I'm trying not to be biased, but they were phenomenal. Uh, great talk. So do check them out. Um, but that's it from us on this week's Crowd Story. Babe, thank you very, very much. You're so there you have it. What a great story. Huge thanks again to my beautiful bride, Sharon Edmondson, for joining me today. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from because we have some great stories about faith and courage from everyday people lined up. And I just don't want you to miss any of them. And whilst you're there, make sure you also subscribe to the Crowd Church live stream. Come say hi in the comments. It'll be great to see you there. If you want to know more about our live stream, there's more information on our website, www.crowd.church. Yes, there is. Uh, and just in case no one has told you today, you, my friend, are awesome. Yes, utterly, utterly awesome. Awesome. Let's try that. Uh, <laughs> it's a burden we all have to bear just because that's the way God made us. You know, we're fearfully, wonderfully made. Uh, and so just have to accept that. Just have to deal with that. Live in it, walk in it and act like it's true. Now, What's the Story is a podcast produced by Crowd Church. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The amazing team that makes this show possible is... Sadaf Bainon, George McQuaig, Estella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song is written by Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript and show notes from today's show, head over to the website www.crowd.church, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. <laughs>